Well, here we are. This is uh, the last Sunday of Isaiah. It's taken us two summers to get to this point. Um, and I, I think I mentioned last week this study of Isaiah is my first time kind of intentionally going through at this kind of level of, of study and, and looking at the structure. And uh, I've just uh, really appreciated um, maybe another deeper look at what God is doing throughout uh, Scripture, and in particular in Isaiah's um, words and, and the way that this is all put together. Uh, we have been looking at Isaiah. We looked at the first half of Isaiah, chapter 1 through 39, last summer, uh, in case you forgot. Uh, it was looking at things that Isaiah warned would lead to exile. It's kind of looking forward. It, it's, it's announcing and, and, and kind of helping the people understand that if we continue in this pattern, if we continue in kind of living opposed to God, um, these things are going to lead us to exile, which they do. They lead to exile. Uh, it's a mix of judgment and hope for what God would do in the future. Uh, we looked at some of the ways Isaiah's words were fulfilled kind of in his time frame, in, in context historically, um, but also then some of the ways that uh, the church looked at Isaiah's words and saw a, a, a larger fulfillment in, in Jesus, and uh, so we looked at some of that. At the end of last summer in chapter 39, we were kind of left staring into the unknown future of the Babylonian exile. Uh, kind of, there's a, a break between 39 and, and 40, and, and 39 kind of left us looking into this yet unknown future for uh, the children of Israel. Historically, we know what ended up happening was they end up in exile, they end up removed from Jerusalem, Jerusalem ends up uh, in shambles, the, the, the temple destroyed, the temple burned, and the people forced, uh, especially the, the, the wealthy, the, the educated folks, are forced to leave their homes. And then when we turned uh, the chapter to 40 and we picked it up this summer, uh, where the writing has moved into the future, the people largely have exile in their rearview mirror, and the prophet is beginning to express this grand vision for a renewed, restored, reconstituted kingdom of God, and we've worked our way through uh, a beautiful po prophetic poem of Isaiah 40 through 55, and here at the end we're looking at this structure, this mirrored structure of Isaiah 56 through 66. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at this structure that begins with an invitation, it begins and ends uh, with an invitation uh, to all nations to be a part of God's covenant people. Everyone is invited to participate in God's kingdom. And we looked at the response of those that the prophet calls wicked, who refuse to follow the ways of Yahweh, and uh, the faithful servants who turn in real humility and live, at, live with justice and righteousness in the way of God, the way God calls them to. We looked at, last week, we looked at the prayers of repentance that the uh, faithful offered. Uh, 
And now the, the climax of this mirrored structure is the announcement of the presence of the kingdom of God. This is a, a monumental moment in Isaiah within this structure. And this is a really, really significant uh, passage within the whole biblical story. And so it, it's really important that our ears perk up and that we pay attention to what Isaiah is talking about in this passage that was read for us this morning. We come to this moment where everyone is invited. We've seen that some respond to the message in the way of Yahweh and some don't. We've looked at the confessing and turning to align ourselves with the way of Yahweh. And now the description and praise of God for what this kingdom will look like. This monumental moment. As we look at this a uh, little bit deeper this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you for the vision of Isaiah Thank you for your announcement of this beginning to take shape. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So this week, uh, we're looking at chapters 59, 60, and, uh, sorry, 60, 61, and 62. Just a little bit of brush up on where we were last week in chapter 59. Isaiah names the sins of his people. He's naming all the things that uh, Israel has done wrong, the ways that they have failed to live in, in the way God wants them to, to. He had named injustice and iniquity and shedding of innocent blood and desolation and destruction. The prophet is naming those barriers, I mentioned that this morning, the, the barriers that they've raised between themselves and God. And Isaiah knows that God is a little ticked with the state of his people. In the end of chapter 59, Isaiah is talking about judgment and displays of God's power. And in verse 20, he says, and he will come to Zion as redeemer in those in Jacob who turn from transgression, says the Lord. And so God will redeem, God will restore. This is what Isaiah uh, the prophet is anticipating. He says, as for me, this is my covenant, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouths of your children or out of the mouths of your children's children, says the Lord, from now on and forever. And so God's spirit will continue with God's people from generation to generation. This is what the prophet is anticipating. And it begins to uh, be very celebratory language then in chapter 60 where he starts, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's celebrating God's presence, Yahweh's presence and blessing in their midst. Don't read this just very monotone or anything. Read this with the excitement that I believe the, the prophet would be injecting into this announcement this isn't something to be taken lightly. This is something to be celebrated. God's people will shine and people will come from all over 
because of the light of God's people. People coming from all over the world bringing the best of what they have to offer. Uh, Isaiah goes into describing what people from this place are going to bring and people from this place are going to bring. But this, these are great gifts. This is their wealth. This is the nations bringing the best of what they have, bringing uh, the, the best of what they're known for into God's presence, laying it down, bringing it as an act of worship. And so this is people coming and celebrating, bringing everything of who they are, the best of who they are and what they have to celebrate God, to celebrate Yahweh's presence and blessing. It's a vision of a multi-ethnic reconstruction project of a redeemed, renewed kingdom of God. Isaiah's describing, you know, folks from all over the world participating in the rebuilding, participating in the renewal of the city of God. The image is marked by signs of renewal and healing and salvation, and that's something big, something great to announce. And so in chapter 61, we hear these words that are familiar to us, often read them maybe uh, around Advent or something like that. It's good news to the oppressed. The prophet announces binding up of the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and day of vengeance of our God. It's, It's God setting things right. God setting things the way that He intended from the very beginning. God is announcing that it's beginning to be put back to right. These are all things, good news for the oppressed, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are all things that had not been happening in the old world, in the old Jerusalem. These are the things that they hadn't been doing And because of that, they had gone into exile. And God is announcing in this new, restored uh, kingdom, all of those things are going to be part of this experience, part of the way that these people live together. Talks about a a garland uh, being exchanged for ashes or... Ashes being exchanged for a garland. It's, it's life instead of death. It's gladness in place of mourning. It's praise instead of a, a lack of zeal. Everything is beginning to be renewed and, and the prophet wants us to hear how everything is being changed. It's more welcoming in worship from the nations. It's reminders of the things God loves, justice rather than robbery and wrongdoing rejoicing in salvation from God. It's a a wedding picture of a bride and a groom brought together as God with His people. These are are pictures of of restoration and hope and renewal. What's really, really important in this passage, at least from a holistic, uh, the the whole Bible uh, narrative, Bible story uh, picture, is that this is not the last time these words will be read and announced. In Luke chapter 4, this is the text that Jesus is handed in the synagogue. Jesus, as, as a rabbi, would show up in the synagogue. He's in Nazareth. He shows up at the synagogue as a teacher would, and they hand him a scroll. It just so happens 
that he's handed the scroll from Isaiah, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce this good news, to announce freedom to the oppressed, to announce uh, freedom for, for the prisoners and the captives, to announce this good news. And Jesus reads this scroll. He reads from Isaiah. Imagine he rolls it back up, hands it back to the, the attendant, and he says, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. He announces its fulfillment in him. It's absolutely crazy what Jesus is announcing the fulfillment of here in this synagogue in Nazareth. But sometimes I've read the passage and I've thought, isn't that nice? That's what Jesus does. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus would quote Scripture. And of course, it makes some people pretty angry, specifically when Jesus highlights how this good news is an invitation to everyone. Jesus kind of, uh, he, he pokes the bear a little bit and says, points out some other places where God blessed people who weren't Jewish, who weren't Israelites. He's pointing out that this invitation is open to everyone. And of course, the religious folks get a little ticked and they try to get rid of Jesus then and there. But there's some audacity in Jesus to announce that Isaiah's vision of God's kingdom, something that, that the, the Jewish people had, had read and reread and hoped for and longed for, that one day this vision of Isaiah's would, would begin to take place. And Jesus is announcing that it's happening. That in him, this fulfillment is beginning to take place. This is huge news. This is something enormous that Jesus is announcing in Luke 4. That God's kingdom is beginning to be fulfilled because Jesus is there. This is outstanding claims. So there's a reason why this is kind of the climatic moment here at the end of Isaiah. What happens then in chapter 62 is Isaiah wants to shout it to the nations. This isn't something that Isaiah is just going to let pass by. This isn't secret news. This isn't, you know, uh, hide it under a bushel news, Right? This is announce it to everyone. This is good news for everyone, and he wants everyone to shout it out. He says, no longer are the sentinels of the city asleep like dogs. Several chapters ago, uh, Isaiah's talking about how the people, the watchmen for the city are asleep. They're not paying attention to what's going on, and he calls them sleeping dogs. But in this new city, in this new announcement, with this new, redeemed, renewed, restored kingdom, 
No longer are people unaware. No longer are people sitting around like sleeping dogs. But instead, these watchmen, these these sentinels, are shouting it out, announcing it to everyone. They want people to know that Yahweh is here and that God is doing something new in their midst. And everyone is invited. As I was reading these chapters uh, this week, so much of this imagery and language sounds like John's revelation. This is looking forward to God putting everything to rights the way it was meant to be, welcoming in foreigners and aliens. Just reading this section makes me want to experience a glimmer of the kingdom. Ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek didn't have... um, Uh, punctuation marks, but I got to believe that the uh, exclamation point is implied through all of this. This is some huge news that Isaiah is talking about and that Jesus will will later reemphasize and announce that it's beginning to happen. You know, last week we confessed that the church is not always what we are called to be. We have shortcomings, we have failures, we're we're messed up people too, maybe just with a recognition that, that Jesus has come to redeem and renew and restore us as well. But we get it wrong, we're called to confess that. We need to be the first to confess and to repent of the ways we don't look and act like Jesus. But when the church has reflected something of this kingdom that Isaiah announces, when the church has reflected something of the kingdom that Jesus announces in Nazareth, it's powerful. When the church of early Acts temporarily ended poverty in their midst by sharing of goods, or when the martyrs laid their own bodies down in the way of injustice and violence, when the faithful servants have cared for the vulnerable, sick, and hurting throughout the centuries, when faithful people have been willing to have such a vision for that renewed kingdom that they willingly suffer in order to catch a glimpse of that kingdom. Or when the early brethren practiced mutual aid or caring for one another, sharing life in common, trying to be an alternative to the ways of things around them. In these instances, when people have been so, uh, have caught such a glimpse of this kingdom, in these instances, we have seen bits and pieces of the kingdom, and it is beautiful, it's inspiring. People are, are, are compelled, they're, they're welcomed in, they, they feel included, and it, it makes such an impact on the world around us. It's compelling when people catch just a glimpse of this kingdom, when the church, when the people of God are living the way God calls us to live. You know, sometimes in the church today, We look for strategies to bring new people into church. We talk about what style or what program or what gimmick might attract new people. 
or else we try to figure out the, the best model for Christian education or discipleship or evangelism or the, the next service project which will bring everyone together inside the church and outside the church. And I'm, please hear me, I'm not against thinking practically about how we implement that. I'm not taught, uh, against thinking practically about how this uh, is shaped in our life. I'm not against announcing the good news. I'm not against uh, serving anyone. There are all sorts of practical applications in this vision of kingdom. But also recognize that people have a pretty low tolerance in the world around us for anything that they feel is inauthentic, gimmicky, or has the potential for bait and switch. Bait and switch, what I mean is, when you tell people they're going to show up for this thing and suddenly you turn it into this thing, I don't think that's quite the kingdom. But when we align ourselves with this vision that Isaiah is, is articulating, when we begin in little ways to live out this kind of kingdom, that is powerful. That is good news to everyone. Not just a program, not just a gimmick. It seems to me like the moments that have meant the most in our faith's history are the moments when people so aligned themselves with the vision in Isaiah or the Messiah Jesus who announces its fulfillment that people begin to seek more. They ask questions And they begin to move into proximity of Jesus and His kingdom. When we start to live rightly with one another, when we start to practice justice with one another, when we stop uh, being jerks to one another, when, when, when we start to care for the sick and the poor around us, that begins to inspire people to think of something different to see another way of living, to see another world is possible. And so maybe we need to learn to sit and listen to the oppressed. Maybe we need to find some folks that are oppressed to even sit and listen to. We need to learn to sit with and listen to the brokenhearted helping them pick up the pieces of their lives. And if you don't know anyone in those situations, you need to just spend some time with a couple of neighbors, with a couple of friends. Church, we need to learn to proclaim liberty to the captives and release for the prisoners and to do work in ways that seek the restorative kinds of justice for those that have broken the law. We need to learn to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a a, a reference to the the practice of jubilee back in Leviticus, which was about releasing people from the bondage of debt and slavery. This was about releasing people. This was about good news. This was uh, uh, about no longer being uh, slaves to systems and cycles that just keep repeating over and over and over again.
We need to learn to live out the ways that God wants to make things right. Church, we need to show a glimpse of the kind of world that is possible. And it's the kind of world that you and I, as followers of Jesus, according to Scripture, announce that that this is the way things are going to be someday when Jesus comes and is all in all and becomes completely king and his reign fully realized. We believe that this won't just be a, a, a pipe dream, that this will be the way things are. And church, we're supposed to be living in these patterns, living in this way, in the here and the now. As a glimpse, we do it imperfectly. We got to confess when we don't get it right, all of that. But these are the patterns and the ways of living that you and I are invited to reflect here and now. C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, said this If you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. The folks that hear Isaiah's vision, that flip over and read from uh, Luke 4 or, or, or read uh, from uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, who, who read the whole of the Gospels and what Jesus is doing, who see in the rest of the New Testament the ways that the church begins to live it out and to announce it to those around them. And when we, when we read John's revelation and, and we're just so inspired by what will be that we can't help but live it out a little bit now. That becomes good news for everyone, for our neighbors, for our family, for our friends, even for our enemies. And so what happens at this climactic moment here at the end of Isaiah is that the faithful servant announces the reign of God and gives this beautiful description. Read it with emphasis. Read it with with hope and encouragement. In Luke 4, God's faithful suffering servant who will stand in for the people, for all people, is announcing the reign of God or the, the, the kingdom, the empire of God. And so the announcement and the implementation are left to us. Implemented imperfectly, awaiting completion, but beginning to live out God's reign and rule now. It's the kingdom to which you and I and everyone is invited. This is the kingdom to which some refuse and others humbly admit that they haven't been walking in the way of God. They turn or they repent to walk in the way of Yahweh. This is the kingdom vision that we're called to confess that we don't always live up to, to pray prayers of repentance and to move back into the way of God. And this is the kingdom we are called to announce and to demonstrate no less than the redemption and the renewal of all things under the kingship of Jesus. What Isaiah is announcing here is really, really good and really, really big news. What Jesus steps into the synagogue 
and reads and announces is really, really big and really, really good. This really, really big and really, really good news is what you and I are invited to live out in the here and now. Church, I hope we catch such a a, a vision of what God is planning that that it begins to just infuse the way that you and I live with one another, the way that we uh, live with those around us to be a glimpse, to be a, a foretaste of what will be. And so let us read these words of Isaiah and be inspired and motivated and just excited about what God is doing in our life and in the life of the world. This morning we are going to respond uh, by singing from the blue hymnal number 369, Lord whose love in humble service. I think that the tune is is familiar uh, and so I'm going to invite you to stand and turn. Again, blue hymnal number 369 are on the screens.